Hello, Canada, and welcome to another episode of Canadian Common Sense. This is Canadian Common Sense with Lewis and Tony. And welcome, Canada, to another episode of Canadian Common Sense. I'm Lewis out here in beautiful British Columbia. And this is Tony out here in Saskatchewan. How are you doing, my friend? Oh, pretty well. I actually got worried about you earlier today because I heard there was uh, another case of coronavirus and it said a British Columbia man in his 40s. And I was like, no, not Lewis. <laughs> so how are you feeling? I feel fine. So okay, if, I have it, if I have it, it's news to me too. But, okay. the, but uh, there's a lot of men in their 40s in BC. So, um, <laughs> well, that's good. I have a feeling it's not me. But, okay, perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. This might be the last uh, little bit of giggles we have tonight because I know I am probably as angry if not angrier than when i had my rant last week about uh about the protesters and i think we'll talk about that some more and i know that you're a little ticked off as well so um a little so yeah maybe we should uh so let's get right to the rage um where, where well, do you want to start you know, you know what let's start with the other two topics we wanted to talk about first because um if we just jump right into the rage we might not get to them that's true <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so let's start off with those. Let's start off with uh, uh, Premier uh, Dwight Ball. Yeah, tw- uh, Dwight Ball of Newfoundland uh, announced, I guess it would be last weekend, so it would be eight days ago now, that he's going to retire from politics. And he used the old cliche line that I just hate when politicians say, this, oh, I need to spend more time with my family. And it's like, okay, you just had an election seven months ago where you won a minority government and you had had a previous majority in 2015 before that. So are you saying that seven months ago you didn't want to spend time with your family, but suddenly a revelation hits you that you have a minority government and, oh, there's allegations of corruption in that minority government. Maybe that's why you want to spend some time with your family, Mr. Ball. Yeah, maybe before he goes to jail. Uh, Yeah. uh, of course, let's let's clarify this. I, I they're allegations. That that's right. Yeah, we don't know that there is anything. Corruption. Um, I what I just said was a joke. Obviously, um, yes. I don't want anybody coming after me. But um, <laughs> I I agree with you. This uh, this uh, this can't have anything to do with wanting to spend more time with his family. This is all to do with, in my opinion. It all has to do with uh, these corruption allegations. Well, exactly. And uh, I think if he had used any line but the old cliche, I mean, because every politician who retires or, you know, decides they're not going to run again, it's always, oh, I want to spend more time with my family. And I don't want to diminish that because I realize that being an, an MP or an MLA or as, if you're Ontario, Quebec, MPP, MNA, is a tough job. I mean, if if you're not right living near the capital city, there's a hell of a lot of travel. So I get that. And I don't want to diminish the fact that you do spend a lot of time away from your family, but don't tell me that when you ran in an election 
only seven months ago that you, uh, you know, you didn't miss your family then, but suddenly you do now. Like, give me a break. Yeah. And it just happened to coincide with these allegations. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, like, don't, don't, don't think we're fools. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So, you know, don't treat us like fools. We know what's up here. You're stepping, you're stepping down, you know, at least say, I'm stepping down amid these allegations to allow for a, an investigation to take place. And, uh, and I will fully cooperate with the investigation. I, but I am saying right here, right now, I did nothing wrong and the investigation will prove that. See that what I'd respect. Yeah, that would make more sense. It wouldn't be treating the public like fools. And, you, I mean, even if you're lying about it in those in those words, you're at least coming across as uh, honest and and um, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Forthcoming, right? You yeah. Know? So, I mean, I, I, that's that to me would just that rubbed me the wrong way when he said that, and I, it was like, come on, just at least try to be somewhat honest here. That's right. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. And now let's jump to some breaking news from today. And that is that the uh, Alberta Court of Appeal has ruled that the federal carbon tax is unconstitutional. Yeah, you know, and I think that's awesome. It was, uh, especially when considering the court in Saskatchewan ruled the opposite way and so it ended up in the supreme court of canada of course and i think this is great this is precedent setting and obviously it's going to go to the supreme court of canada as well but they're obviously going to have a stronger argument now that the alberta court of appeal has ruled against so honestly i actually for once can't wait for a case to get to the supreme court yeah no i know this is because i mean they can go in there saying look the Alberta Sup- Supreme Court says that this is unconstitutional and that will hold some weight with their arguments anyway. Well, yeah, they're at the very least going to have to look at the grounds that the Alberta government has, or the Alberta Court of Appeal, I should say, has stated, you know, these are the grounds upon which we find it unconstitutional. So now the Supreme Court of Canada will, will be forced to consider that. So I'm I'm excited and, you know, fingers crossed that uh, that, that has to hold some weight. You're right. Yeah, I hope that it, it does, and I hope that the Supreme Court of Canada really, like the judges, really, uh, uh, um, you know, give that some weight. And um, it, it's, I think, you know, that this is a uh, a good step forward um, because I mean, the the thing that I've never understood about the whole carbon tax is that Justin. Trudeau, you know, imposed it, but he didn't actually impose a tax. He said, this is the price on carbon. Eh, you provinces figure it out. Yeah, that, that that's true. Yeah, I mean, he certainly, um, yeah, because I know when there was negotiating when Brad Wall was still premier in Saskatchewan, uh, Mr. Trudeau was even saying, well, what if you just use your gasoline tax and called that a carbon tax? But Mr. Wall just eventually, essentially gave him the, the, the double-barreled middle finger and said there is no such thing as carbon tax here until now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, you know, and speaking as someone 
from BC where we've had a carbon tax for a number of years now, um, it, it doesn't work. And all it is, is a tax grab. And that's all it's good for because, and, and I saw Peter McKay on uh, uh, question period on CTV on the weekend. And, oh, and by the way, his French was very good. I speak fluent French and his French was very good. Uh, it was just a little rusty when he first announced his candidacy. But um, because I, I, I know, because I speak fluent French, that if I don't use it for a few years, it, uh, it, you, you, you'll sit there and go, what's the word I'm supposed to be using right now? Right. So, yeah, it's like a muscle. If you don't use it, you lose it, right? And uh, so I, I, I was really happy to see that his French was really good when he answered a question in French on uh, question period on CTV. But um, the thing that I wanted to say about, about what he had to say about, um, uh, about this was that the carbon tax, and he made this point, that the carbon tax just gives license to pollute. And he's right. And Evan Solomon didn't understand that. He, he looked really confused. And he said, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, if you can afford to pollute, you'll pollute. No. And he's right. He, the, Good point. The carbon, tax, the carbon tax does nothing to actually curb emissions. It's just, it's just a tax grab. And the, the, the only way to really curb emissions is, and if, is to legislate emissions. Is right. to say... You know, by 2025, you have to, you, by law, you have to cut emissions by X amount. 2030, this is the level that you have to be at. And that's the only way to do it because the tax isn't going to stop uh, people from heating their homes. It's not going to stop people from putting gas in their tank to get to work. Those are things we have to do. Yeah, absolutely right. And uh, I'm actually really glad you had mentioned uh, Peter McKay's French. And I, uh, I always defer to you when it comes to someone's French because you're, you are fluent in the language. And that was one thing that really was holding me back from, you know, supporting him or at least, you know, accepting him as a candidate for leadership. Because I firmly believe any prime minister of Canada needs to be fluent in both official languages. So uh, that actually, you know, makes me a little happier about Peter McKay's candidacy. Yeah, and I and I really implore anybody to actually find the uh, clips on CTV's website that where he was on question period because uh, I was actually I was actually fairly impressed with him on there. He said oh. things he said things that needed to be said. They weren't popular, but he like they're not popular with the left. But he said things that needed to be said that I think conservatives are, have been afraid to say. Oh, excellent. Um, so I, I'm, I was, I was impressed. I mean, there was, there was a couple questions that he, he didn't explain his answer properly. And, but other than that, I thought he did a really good job. Oh, glad to hear that. Yeah. So, now that we've covered those things, let's uh, let's jump to what is really making us mad. Yeah, you bet. Um, right here in <laughs> my backyard in Saskatoon, we actually had some railway protesters on Fantastic. the weekend. 
Yeah, that's what I thought. And what ticked me off the most, and I texted you about this, was that the breaking news came out that they were protesting on the rail line just as I had to head off to referee a soccer game. So I couldn't even go check it out when uh, they first hit the tracks. But they're still there. And unlike the protests in eastern Canada, here in Saskatoon, they actually are making way for the trains to continue to go through. So they're just there more or less making their point. Um, but a counter-protest actually came to join them. So there were these two groups on opposite sides of the railway track saying their pieces to each other. And the Saskatoon Police Service was right there to do absolutely nothing but stand there and allow the protesters to go on. And all I could think was, isn't there an oath that a police officer takes to uphold Canadian law when they swear to be an officer? Why, yes, there is. And were they upholding this oath? Why, no, they were not. Um, Maybe they should do, I don't know, what would be their job in this case? Would that be to clear the tracks, maybe get the protesters out of there? Uh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm just thinking out loud here. Yeah, and I mean, we've we've, we've had protests out here in BC. Um, the Port of Vancouver has been blockaded. The, uh, the West Coast Express, which is the train... It's a passenger train that collects people from uh, out in the Fraser Valley. So from like Abbotsford and Maple Ridge and, and um, uh, Port Coquitlam and all that and takes them into Vancouver for work. Oh, okay. um, and they blockaded that. Oh, my. Um, and uh, I'll say blockaded. I can't remember what it was. Um, but they, I mean people are losing their jobs because of this. I believe there's 1500 people who've been laid off so far by, um, by different, by different train companies. Well, that's just, that's just via rail and CN. I mean, think of all the spinoff yeah. jobs that go down the line from that. Like, uh, yeah, but yeah, just I mean, via rail and CN have let go of 1500 people. Yeah. And it's absolutely obscene. And then today and, God bless them. The uh, Ontario Provincial Police finally went in and broke up the barricade that was uh, at Belleville, Ontario, that had been blocking that CN main line, uh, only to have uh, uh, another Mohawk protest spring up in Montreal and blocking one of the bridges on the island of Montreal. I they didn't say which one it was, at least I didn't read it in the news story I was reading, but the protests continue, and I'm not sure what the Surette de Quebec are going to do about it, but hopefully they follow the steps of the OPP and just get them the hell out of there. Why aren't they protesting the natural gas pipeline that's running to Saguenay? Exactly. Yeah. Not why, are they a, not a peep. why are they protesting the pipeline that's in BC that has nothing to do with them? That's right. And, and that pipeline that's, that's natural gas, the cleanest possible form of energy that's going to dissipate in the air in event of a spill, quote unquote. Yeah. And, I mean, I mean, let's not forget that every elected band council along the path of the coastal gas link have signed on. Oh, They're yeah. all in favor of it. Every last one of them. And most of the hereditary chiefs. We're talking about five hereditary chiefs. That's yep. it. Five Just people. Five. And, and, and 
they came out today and admitted that they're taking money from the Tides Foundation. Well, from... 1,500 people have been laid off. From the Tides Foundation. Yeah, an oh, American for... organization that I believe receives a lot of funding from American oil companies. Yes, they, they certainly do. And they have uh, very, you know, uh, I guess I shouldn't say stated goals, but they... By their practice, they are very good at trying to shut down the Canadian oil patch. What a big yeah, surprise. And, and here, I'm going to explain to people why oil companies want to shut down the oil industry in Canada. And the reason is because right now, Canada has one customer for our oil, and that's the U.S., and, they, and because we only have one customer, they get it at a massive discount. And the reason they get it at a massive discount is because if we try to charge them full price, they'll say, nope, we don't need it. Because they are self-sufficient with oil at the moment. They don't actually need our oil. They, they, make, they, they extract enough oil right now in the U.S. They don't need to import oil from anywhere. Exactly. And so they say, well, if... If you want us to buy your oil, you're going to sell it to us for 60% off or whatever it is that they're getting it for. And so Canada right now goes, uh, okay, we don't have a choice. The buyer is dictating the price and we can't, we can't do anything about it because we can't get our oil to a different customer. That's right. And that's why American oil companies are trying to shut down our pipelines so that they can continue to buy our oil at a massive discount. Yep. And that's why we're seeing, well, and these protests, in my opinion, are just a dress rehearsal for once the government starts going a little harder on building the Trans Mountain Extension. I mean, this, oh, yeah. this, this was the warm up. They're going to they're gonna go full force once the, uh, once they get this all dealt with and then Trans Mountain starts getting into construction, which I guess will be soon once the, the ground thaws. And yeah. then we're going to see all hell break loose again. Oh, yeah. And we're already uh, we're already hearing uh, Native protesters, like First Nations protesters, invoking the uh, UNDRIP, the United Nations Declaration of Rights for indigenous peoples oh yeah already they're already invoking that and it's not even like the the law has only been it's only been passed into law they haven't actually implemented anything yet no and i heard a gentleman on the radio with roy green this weekend talking about that and he was almost laughing it off oh now with undrip that's going to make negotiations even more interesting and this was a a, a band counselor or a, with some some organization of advocacy group anyway and i thought you know it's funny to you but it's it's just going to create nothing but havoc for the energy industry and there's well, what, what bugs me is there's there's indigenous bands that want to buy the Trans Mountain Extension. So why do these people want to shoot themselves in the foot like this? I just uh, it 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 just it, it blows my mind. It really just blows my mind. Yeah, and and it's not just 
pipelines that are going to be affected by this. Good luck building another power, uh, like a power generating dam in this province. Oh, yeah. You know, it's funny you say that because I was actually thinking about that today when I was, you know, thinking what I was going to say about these protests. Um, you might remember, I mean, you were in British Columbia at the time, but when it was in the 80s when they were building the Old Man River Dam in southern Alberta. And we had indigenous protesters and there was a gentleman, Milton born with a tooth who actually got arrested and jailed because he sabotaged the project. And thankfully nobody got hurt, but it was, uh, you know, it very well could have. And I thought that's what worries me is that the, you know, the, it's going to, it's going to escalate the next time where someone is going to get hurt. And if they go back to industrial sabotage, this is just going to be messy, 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 messy. Yeah, and I I live in the only province in the country that has passed on drip so far. But That's, Justin yeah. Trudeau, Justin Trudeau has voiced his intention to pass undrip federally. Of course, he just panders to everybody. So why wouldn't he? And and I'm already seeing in BC the effects of it, and it hasn't even been implemented yet. And I I mean I'm not kidding. Tony, I said to my wife last night, I said, maybe we really should think about moving somewhere else. Yeah, well, I, I, I wouldn't blame you for doing it. And and I'm not talking about another jurisdiction in Canada, because if this gets passed federally, we're all screwed. Well, and exactly. so I, and I was saying, maybe we should look at the U.S., yeah, well, it would certainly be the place to be. I mean, that uh, you'd have no problem finding work. Well, as a entrepreneur, I bring the work with me. And, well, yeah, and so I would have my family would have no trouble getting in because of that. That's right. Yeah, um, but but it's but then we thought about it. and We went, ah, eh, you know, uh, try sending our kids to university down there. It'll actually bankrupt us. But <laughs> well, there is that. Um, but. I mean, I don't know. I mean, this this scares the hell out of me. I mean, I, we're seeing we're seeing what's happening now, and UNDRIP hasn't even been fully implemented. Wait till it's fully implemented. I mean, yeah. this this province, and if it gets implemented federally, this country is absolutely screwed. Yeah, I mean, you think the inmates are running the asylum now? Just wait. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I'm all in favor of reconciliation and everything, but I don't think anybody knows when that's going to be completed. Like, and, and not just a timeline. I, I just don't think anybody has any idea when it'll be, when people will be satisfied. Well, that's the thing because they keep moving the goalposts. So how are we going to know? It's yeah. I mean, there's, there's I mean, always an apology and there's always a check attached to that apology. And then a few more years down the road, another apology with another check. And that's not reconciliation. That's just no. buying off some votes, in my opinion. And reconciliation to me would be scrapping the Indian Act. Oh, big time! That's that, that's got to be the first step. I mean, that is the most racist piece of legislation I think in any any first world country. I I I absolutely agree with you. And and I mean, there's a lot of. And I don't understand why that's not even on the table. It's I mean, like, yeah, most, like you, you talk to a lot of uh, First Nations leaders, talk to some band chiefs. I've talked to a band chief here in the Okanagan who, who says it's got to go. 
Oh, but, uh, but of course it's not it does. even on the table. It's not even on the table. No, and what's sad is that not only is that not on the table, I mean, pr prime minister after prime minister makes all these promises, and the majority—I shouldn't say majority, but many First Nations reserves can't even get decent bloody drinking water. So, you want to talk reconciliation? How about let them live live healthy like the rest of us do? For crying out loud, let them be equal citizens in in their their standard of living. Like let's let's get them out of the fifties for crying out loud. Well, reconciliation to me would be uh, not just handing over buckets of money every year with no accountability. Re reconciliation to me would be let's let's have some programs here in place to help First Nations uh, become self-sufficient. Yeah. Like, and I mean, I, I this whole idea of First Nations buying the TMX, I, hey, that's a good idea. They have skin in the game, and they'll make sure that it's taken care of. They're, they, they, you know, I mean, you always hear about First Nations being the stalwarts of, of uh, the environment. So let them take control of something that is uh, that many environmentalists feel is a a detriment to the environment right but let the, but let the keepers of the environment um be the ones who are responsible for it exactly and i mean and, and by all means reap the benefits yeah i mean yeah, granted they'll be buying it with our money but Under, understood but like taxpayers money right like yeah. they, the, the government is going to lend them the money to buy it from the government right <laughs> so I mean, but regardless, it's, I just think that we need to stop treating First Nations like they are made of crystal, you know, like they're not, like yeah. they're, they're breakable, like they're fragile, that, that we have to handle them with kid gloves. No, like enough of this bullshit. Exactly. But we need to we need to just we need to start bringing everybody onto the same level playing field i mean this is 2020 for crying out loud i mean justin trudeau said it back in 2015 you know what you know why did you make why did you have a, a balanced um a cabinet of 50 percent women 50 percent men and he said because it's 2015 <laughs> <laughs> and well, guess what? It's 2020, and we still have uh, a, an entire race of people being treated like fourth-class citizens. Oh yeah, I mean they're they're serfs at the very best, and it's uh, that's absolutely. I mean that's that's racist. I mean, uh, Mr. Trudeau wanted to call Andrew Shear racist for suggesting blockades come down. I mean. Look at the yeah, Indian and then five Act. days later, he did the same thing. Well, yeah, as soon as he found out that Canadians actually were on board with what Mr. Shear had to say, all of a sudden, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Now, uh, you're not reckless and racist anymore. Oh, no, you still are, but I I'm not reckless and racist for saying the same thing you did. Like, oh, just yeah, because he even suggested that in the first place. I mean, he excluded him from a first leader's uh, meeting. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know if you heard, but like... Um, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the minister, but anyways, he, the, one of his cabinet ministers was 
was being interviewed on um, uh, on um, Question Period on CTV, and he said, uh, you know, he mentioned that that or no, sorry, not Question Period, Power and Politics on CBC, and he he said that Justin Trudeau was meeting with the progressive leaders of the House of Commons. Oh my God. And he said progressive leaders 12 times in that interview. 12 times. He mentioned mentioned progressive. And that, I'm sorry, included the leader of the Bloc Québécois. Oh, uh, but of course. Oh, no, sidebar. Who hosts uh, the Power in Politics again? Vashi Kapelos. Oh, yeah, yes. Um, I seem to remember you've mentioned that name about a hundred or so times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she she is far and away my favorite political reporter in Canada. She you you really have no idea which side of the fence she's on when she's interviewing politicians, and that is commendable, especially in this day and age. Yeah, I actually yeah. after you uh, recommended, I've, I I watch her. I have actually seen a couple of clips of her and. Um, yeah, she actually can be quite the bear. I'm uh, I'm actually getting more impressed with her the more I watch her. So, yeah, she and she doesn't let people get away with non-answers. And yeah. So I'm and like I said, you you have no idea which side of the fence she's on. Yeah. But so sorry for the sidebar, but, but I just I just knew that uh, working, you like her. So, but, but working at CBC, chances are, right, she's a liberal. But I've also seen her not let liberals get away with anything either so like i said she's the best political reporter in the country yeah so it bugs me that talk, they would talk about you know meeting of the progressive leaders and the bloc quebecois leader um no I'm, I'm drawing a blank on his name now uh blanchette yeah yeah blanchette yeah mr blanchette <laughs> um came Not out that he a couple really matters anyway he doesn't and uh but unfortunately he was sadly foreshadowing a couple weeks ago when he said he had some problems with the tech resources frontier mine in Northern Alberta, which we got the bombshell dropped on us last night about. Yeah. But, but in the first place, what the hell does it have to do with him? He represents one flipping province in this entire country. He doesn't even try to run a candidate in any other province because he's only interested in the one province and his ultimate goal is to separate from the rest of us. So what does he give a shit about with a mine in northern Alberta? Well, exactly. Especially when a cement plant in northern Quebec underwent zero environmental uh, assessment or environmental impact assessment, sorry, before it was built in Gaspé because it was about Quebec jobs. But yep. when it comes and, to uh, 10,000 yep. Alberta jobs, how about we just screw tech and say, nope, goodbye to the frontier mine. Yeah, and you've got uh, mines in Quebec that are mining lithium for batteries and it's giant open pit mines and they don't seem to give a crap about those. No, that's, that's Quebec jobs. We need to protect Quebec jobs. Doesn't... Yeah. Now let's talk about Tech Frontier because Tech Frontier, Tech pulled their application yesterday. They were supposed to get an answer from the government this week after spending 
what was it? Ten ten years, years to get a bloody approval. What and what kind of banana ten. republic do you spend ten years to get approval for a for a, a resource project or a mine? Ten and, bloody years. Yeah, ten years and a billion dollars. Yep, yep. They're walking and away they, from one point one billion dollars. They walked away from it, and the reason. Because they know the government won't have their back when it's time to start this project and the and the protesters start protesting. Yep, and they said the, the uncertainty and then the government's uncertainty about its climate change versus environment goals and then talked about emissions and whatnot. And really the writing was on the wall when the Trans-Canada Energy East pipeline got cancelled because the Trudeau government just kept moving the goalposts and then blame Trans-Canada when they walked away from it. And that's exactly well, and they what they're going to do now. Yeah. They, well, uh, not what they're going to do. They already have. You see, and this is the one time that I wish Justin Trudeau would actually have gone with his stock response when he was questioned about it. You know, the um, uh, 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 response. But yeah. he, but instead, he had to make himself sound even more stupid and get in front of the mic. And it's just, it just, it, it bugs me and, uh, because well, because I guess because I partly because I was born and raised in Alberta and I mean I'm very connected to the story and just connected to the to the people involved because I'm one of them and I mean when they start talking about oh we're going to prepare an aid package just in case the last thing people in Alberta want is a stinking aid package what they want is they want jobs they want to go to work they want to prosper they want the rest of the country to prosper with them they want to lift up the rest of the country while they lift themselves up. But instead the government just keeps kicking them in the teeth and kicking them in the teeth and kicking them in the teeth over and over again. And then they wonder why there is a, a rise in separatist sentiment in Alberta. Like give your goddamn heads a shake, you guys. And they wanted, and, and instead of uh, approving these projects, they want to uh, give them charity. And that is, and you, you just said it, that is the absolute last thing that Albertans want is charity. They just, they want jobs. I mean, yeah, Albertans are a proud people. I mean, Western Canadians in general, I'm, and I'm sure all Canadians, I mean, they don't want handouts. They want an opportunity to go to work and take care of their families and the, the greater Canadian family. They don't see, want... A, no. Yeah, but, but see, this is a hallmark of left-wing governments. The, the, the and, and that's uh, uh, handouts. Oh, it is. Yeah, totally. They they think they think handouts is what everybody wants, and that's what they do all the time. They always give handouts to to special interest groups, to anybody who makes some noise. They give handouts, and that's what liberals uh, have become famous for, and especially left wing governments like like hard left, like NDP governments, and and it's. But but the liberals are, are becoming more and more like the NDP all the time, and it's and it's really scary because where the hell is all that money coming from? It's coming from the people that are actually working. But if you keep uh, allowing more and more and more people to lose their jobs, that money is you're not going to have that money coming from anywhere. No, it's drying up. And uh, and you and I had said this even back in 2015 before we ever started this show was that. Justin Trudeau is a radical leftist and he surrounded himself with a cabinet full of more radical leftists. So then what happens is you end up with this echo chamber of 
radical leftists and then they just all continue to, to be yes men for each other and pat each other on the back that they're all right and they in their opinion what they're doing is the right thing for the country even though they're destroying the very country that they believe they're protecting like yeah. I, I, I don't get it i just don't get it no and neither do i and and getting back to like you saying that the that the government is going to uh use or is going to blame this on uh, tech. Oh, yeah. Um, the Minister of Fisheries and Oceans, Jonathan Wilkinson. Oh, yes. He's, he stood up in the House of Commons today and said that. Oh, when, for crying out when loud. Pierre, when Pierre Poiliev stood up and said, hey, you know, the government ha- is responsible for this. And he stood up and he said, Tech industries walked or there they made tech industries made the decision to uh, to pull their application. This is the, this is on them. And yeah. and Pierre Poiliev stood up and he said, uh, "Are you still there? I'm losing you." Oh, sounds like we lost contact with Lewis. Are you still there, Lewis? Well, I know where he was going with that anyway. And that, see, the same thing happened when TransCanada pulled the, the plug on Energy East because it was that time that Justin Trudeau said, oh, well, I mean, if there's going to be an East-West pipeline, it's got to come from the private sector. And there's just nothing on, on the table right now from the private sector. Well, of course not. And, TransCanada even said it's because you continue to move the goalposts. So why the heck would anybody from the private sector even try? Because it's nothing but uncertainty. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, and they continue to uh, say that it was that it was TransCanada that pulled out of that. That's right. Yeah, and uh, and all it was was just uh, awful government regulation. Now, apologies for listening. So I lost your contact with you for a minute, Lewis. So I had a bit of bit of yeah. dead air there, but uh, but we're back now. And uh, so when we kind of lost you when you were talking about Pierre Polyev and uh, his response to Mr. Wilkinson, and that's what just helped me transition into the TransCanada story. So oh yeah, you know Pierre Polyev just stood up in the House of Commons after Wilkinson said, "Oh well, you know tech industries." Uh, backed out of this and said that it was with regard that, that it was because they were worried about their CO2 emissions. Oh my and, God. And, uh, and, and Pierre Polyev stood up and said, you are telling us that after 10 years and a billion dollars spent and making a uh, declaration to be net zero emissions by 2050, that they're just, going to walk away oh yeah and uh, you'll love this the globe and mail had an article today and they were blaming uh a drop in the price of oil in 2014 and saying that was why tech was was hesitant about the project because they weren't certain that oil prices would rebound enough where they would make money off the mine well wouldn't they have made that decision in 2014 then like give your heads a shake how stupid do you people think we are yeah, this is six years later. Exactly. Like, come on. 
but yeah, I mean, like but, I, uh, I, I said uh, last night, like I, on when I saw the news from tech last night, there's a, I think it was on Canada Proud's Facebook page. I posted that said, yeah, just watch for the government spin machines to go into hyperdrive. And that's exactly, I mean, uh, they're using their media spin machines and their own spin doctors in the party to, like you say, they're to, to blame tech and say, oh, no, it's nothing to do with us and our stupid policies and our radical leftist environmentalist policies and our willing, willful destruction of the Canadian oil patch. No, no, nothing to do with that. It's all but the company's faults. Like, yeah, uh, uh, you know, this is the weakest. This is the weakest prime minister we've ever had. Oh, by far, ever. And that includes Joe Clark. And that's saying a lot. You know, you know, you, have, you bring up Joe Clark, wow, yeah. And that is saying a lot. I mean, I would take a Joe Clark prime ministership in a heartbeat over what we have now. Yeah, this is, I, I mean, I don't know if anybody can tell, but we're angry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yep. this is, this, this prime minister has, over the past, Two and a half weeks has told the world Canada is closed for business. Well, yeah. And I mean, not only that, he's not only is Canada closed for business, but Canada has no interest in the rule of law. You want to come blockade our railways and shut down our economy? Come on in. And so many of the protesters who were lined up at, at these railway blockades weren't even from Canada. There was there was reports to have, of buses coming across the border uh, in Ontario of professional paid protests well. oh, NBC, lovely yeah. Uh, and so uh yeah creating jobs for americans to come protest in canada like, yeah and ridiculous. i mean this is it, it is ridiculous i mean if if they had shut these blockades down when andrew Shear had called for it we wouldn't be at where we are right now well, they no, would have got those because they could have got had those blockades shut down before they got to the to to be as big as they are now. Like with all these people coming in from the U.S., like if you if you could if they had shut them down before they attracted all these other professional protesters, we wouldn't be where we are right now. No, exactly. If the police had just done their job, and I realize I'm referencing back to a. To an earlier rant of mine, but if the police had done their job in the first place, and as soon as a protest went up, start throwing people into the police vans and hauling them away, then the message gets out pretty quickly. Don't mess with us because we're not going to put up with it. But instead, the message that our prime minister put out for the world was, we are going to put up with it. Come on out here and kick us in the teeth, would you? Because all we'll do is stand here and, and say, we need to talk. Well, as you can tell, no, nobody was interested in talking and they're still not and i think that's a good way to end today's show i think you're right yep i'm uh, fired up enough now that it'll take me a few glasses of warm milk to go to bed <laughs> <laughs> all right well, this, so, this was um, this was good therapy so uh thanks very yeah. much for listening lewis and thank you canada for listening to us whether you're on anchor.fm or Spotify or Google Play or the growing number of podcast platforms our show is now on. Thank you all for joining us. Um, so until next time, I'm Tony in Saskatchewan. And I am Lewis out here in BC. Have a great night, Canada. Good night.